You guys doing good tonight? You guys doing good? So it's a small group, which also translates to a quiet group. Uh, I tend to I tend to like it when you like shout me down and you throw like some amens in there or something, but it's okay. Uh, it's okay without. Um, but if you guys have your Bibles, turn with me if you will to John chapter two. We're in week eight of our series through the book of John. Can you guys believe we've been in John already for eight weeks? Does it feel like eight weeks? Um, <laughs> Aaron says, yeah. Well, Aaron, you, you got to deal with it. Uh, we're eight weeks in, and we still got another like 50-something to go. So praise the Lord. Um, we're not even finishing John chapter 2 tonight. Uh, we're just going to get through John chapter 2, verse 22. Um, and we're going to pick up in verse 13. Uh, but just a little review for those of you who haven't been here, uh, or for those who just were here and forgot because you weren't taking notes, uh, God still loves you uh, if you don't take notes. But uh, uh, you should know that you should take notes. It actually has nothing to do with God's love on you, but it's all good. Uh, review, we've been in John chapter 1. Uh, obviously for a little while we looked at who Christ is and how Christ is uh, the light. He is the logos and he is the life of the, uh, of the world. And in him we can have life and life everlasting. Uh, then we looked at how he called his first disciples. Uh, and he told them to come and see, and how this is a, a great evangelism tool for us. When we don't know the answers, just say, come and see. Uh, and Christ does a work in people's lives uh, when they come and when they see. Uh, last week we looked at Jesus' beginning of his ministry. Um, and I, I thought last week uh, was just a powerful week um, here at Ecclesia. Uh, I think God did some pretty cool things in not only my uh, heart and in uh, my life uh, as a result of uh, the word uh, that Tammy gave, uh, just about really leaning on God and trusting in God uh, when you're going through hard circumstances. Uh, and it just rolled into the message how uh, God always saves the best for last. and He always has uh, us in mind. And so it, it was just really encouraging. Uh, and I hope that tonight is going to be encouraging uh, as well. Uh, just as encouraging. We're in John chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, and we're going to read all the way through verse 22. It's a familiar portion of Scripture. Um, and it's not a familiar topic that's talked about in church. That we're going to talk about tonight. So we're going to have some fun. Uh, so, uh, yeah, let's just read, then let's pray, and let's dive in. It says this, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to the uh, went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the, all the money changers they were doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and with the oxen, and poured out the chargers' money, and overturned the tables. And he said, to those who sold the doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples, uh, his disciples remembered that it is written, Seal, for your house has eaten me up. And the Jews answered him and said, What sign do you show us since you do these things? And Jesus answered them and said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in just three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said that uh, he would raise, uh, and said that this to them, Wow, 
And they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had said. Dear God, I just pray that as uh, you fumble through uh, our reading tonight, uh, God, I just pray that you would speak to us through your word. Uh, God, we just pray that, uh, God, your perfect word, your living word, uh, God, your active word uh, would actively be doing something in each and every single one of our hearts. Uh, God, I pray that we would be touched by your word. God, we'd be changed by your word. Uh, God, that we'd be inspired and encouraged by your word. God, we'd be challenged by your word. Uh, God, I just pray that none of these would be my words, uh, but God, that you would speak through, God, and that your perfect word would come through. Uh, so God, we thank you, we praise you, in your son's name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, so far in our narrative, we're, we're not that far. Jesus' ministry has only been going for just a little while, uh, and Jesus has some disciples at this point. Uh, and so they've been following him around, uh, they saw him get baptized, and uh, he said, come and see, and they came and saw, and then they went to a wedding with him, and they partied hardy with him, and it was a great time, and uh, and they saw him do some miracles. And so at this point, these guys, they're probably thinking they got Jesus figured out. They're like, all right, Jesus is this chill dude, he likes to hang out, he likes to walk a lot, but that's okay, he's a cool guy, we got you figured out, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Jesus does something, and he changes it up. Uh, and he gets a little bit uh, frustrated. He gets a little bit angry, and he flips some tables. So the title of tonight's message, if you're taking notes, uh, is Flipping Tables. Flipping Tables. Uh, not like flipping as in like using that as a replacement for another word, but like flipping tables. Um, uh, yeah, like flipping tables. Uh, those flipping tables, my goodness. No, but Jesus was flipping tables. Uh, so we go verse by verse, uh, but we're going to change it up just a little bit because I'm kind of going to generalize a few things uh, about the story because I think there's three really key points uh, for us that we can take away from this, okay? Uh, so if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to do so. It says this, we're going to pick up in verse 13. Uh, but before we do that, uh, I just want to show you here. The first part of chapter 2 is all about joy. It's a wedding feast. It's a party. It's fun. It's happy-go-lucky. There's wine. Uh, there's guys. There's girls. There's <laughs> dancing. It's, I mean, it's a good time. There's joy. Uh, but now we're going to see uh, in the second part of chapter 2, uh, there's some judgment. And so joy and judgment are the two themes of uh, chapter 2 of John. But here's the thing. You can't have joy without Judgment. Okay, you can't have joy without judgment. Uh, because in order to have full joy, there has to be a righteous, uh, judgment. And so, um, there has to be some sort of, uh, righteous, uh, anger. Uh, and, and, and in this we see, uh, Jesus demonstrate anger very well for us. Um, the Bible, and this is where I said it's part, it's not talked about in church a lot. Uh, the Bible actually encourages and exhorts us uh, to be angry. Okay? Uh, you might not have known that. Um, but this is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 26. Flip over there, uh, if you will, lest we give ourselves a license to be angry and mad at each other. And uh, we do it out of context. This is what it says in verse 26. It says this, uh, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let that, the sun go down on your wrath. So, we're told we can be angry. But in our anger, we are not to sin. And we are never to let the sun go down while we are still angry. So there's some things that are good to be angry about. We're going to get there uh, in just a second. Jesus was very merciful. He was very forgiving. He was very joyful. But he was also very righteous. He was also um, very holy 
and in so much as being righteous and holy, there were things uh, that he was going to have to be angry about. Uh, because here's the thing, when there is something that is unholy in the way of joy, uh, that is something that makes God angry, because God strives for holiness, and when there's unholy preventing folks from becoming holy, uh, God doesn't like uh, these speed bumps, and so there's some righteous indignation, there's some righteous anger. Um, and so since God wants us to have joy, uh, he gets angry when uh, things get in our way. And here's the thing, God doesn't get angry uh, at you. Okay, I want to be very clear with that. We're going to talk about anger tonight, we're going to talk about God's anger tonight. Um, God doesn't get angry at you. Okay, uh, God gets angry at sin. Does that make sense? So God's not getting angry at you. God doesn't want to like come down and crash down on you with, with with things. God's not angry at you. God is angry at sin. God is angry at the things that prevent us from experiencing the full joy that He has for us. And so we're going to just uh, unpack all that tonight because uh, there's some very some very good things in here. But let's just read this again, uh, and then we're going to kind of I'm going to hit on a few points. It's going to be a little bit shorter tonight. Um, and, and that's totally okay because we've got a small group so that's going to be great we can have some fellowship at the end um, and you guys all know me too well when I say it's going to be short <laughs> it normally ends up being longer Kate's giving me this no you're never short face uh, and so we're going to try uh, and I'm just going to try and rifle through this but I think we got some points that might get in the way of that now this is what it says now the Passover of the Jews was at hand this is a Jewish festival as many of you guys know Okay, the Passover was a time when the Jews were celebrating something that happened uh, many, many years before. Does anyone know what Passover is a celebration all about? The clue is in the name. It is when the angel of death passed over the children of Israel when they were in bondage in Egypt. If you guys remember the story, uh, the Jews, they're there in Egypt. The Israelites, they are in bondage in Egypt, and they're in slavery. It's not good. It's bad. Uh, and then there's this dude by the name of Moses who's born, who gets put in a basket, floats down the river. Pharaoh's daughter picks it up, raises it in Pharaoh's house. Uh, and so the Prince of Egypt, DreamWorks movie, great time. Um, I cry in that movie every time. Um, I do. It's real. Um but Moses, then he goes out because he kills an Egyptian and freaks out and he runs away. And uh, he experiences God in the back of the desert. Who knew deserts had backs? I didn't, but they do. Uh, and so he experiences God in the back of the desert, comes back and leads uh, the children of Israel free in something that is called the Exodus. And we have a book in the Bible that's dedicated to that. Um, but something happens in between him coming and declaring, Pharaoh, let my people go, and Pharaoh actually letting his people go. And it's these things called plagues. And we're not going to go through all the plagues, but one of the plagues, and it was the last plague, uh, that was the one that kind of broke Pharaoh's stone heart and said, all right, just get out of here, Moses. Get out of here, Israelites. Take your God with you. Uh, God sent a plague, which was the angel of death. And the angel of death was going to come and was going to kill all the firstborns in the land. Uh, and something had to be done for the Israelites uh, to be safe from that happening. And so, the very first Passover meal um, was started, and they slaughtered a lamb, and they painted the lamb's blood on their door uh, posts, and then they ate uh, unleavened bread to represent the hastiness in which they're going to have to leave. Uh, they ate bitter herbs to like remind them of their time in uh, 
uh, of Egypt. And so they ate these things. This thing happened. Boom. And then they left. And God told Moses to repeat that every year in remembrance. So, all that being said, we're not going to get done short because I just did all that talk. I'm probably going to do all that talk for everything else. So that's Passover. That's the third word of the message tonight. Wow. Okay. Uh, and the Jews uh, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So here's the deal. They went up to Jerusalem because that's where the main temple was. That's where they all worship. So Jesus and his posse, they're rolling up to Jerusalem. Does anyone know where they're rolling to Jerusalem from? Anyone know? Bible trivia. It's not that hard uh, because it is in uh, just a few verses before. Yeah, they're coming from Capernaum. Uh, And some cool things happen there that some other gospel writers tell us about. All right, so now... Uh, when he got to the temple, he found something. Now, the temple wasn't uh, what it was supposed to be when Jesus got there. Jesus gets there, and he walks into the temple, and he sees some things going on. But in order for us to fully understand the things that are going on in the temple, I have to draw a picture for you guys. Is that okay if I draw a picture for you guys? All right, I'm going to blank screen, and then I'm going to roll this up. All right, so... The temple, can everyone see the screen? Okay, so the, the temple back in the day, um, we're just going to say this is our temple. Cool door with cool pillars. Okay, everyone see the temple? Okay, so the temple had a few courtyards. Okay, courtyard. Like everyone has a courtyard, like their front porch, like the chilling area, okay? So there was the courtyard. But it also had another courtyard. It also had another courtyard. And it had another courtyard. It's three-dimensional for all you guys who didn't know. Um, and there's some very important things about these courtyards. I'm going to break down these courtyards for you. And then it's going to kind of tell the story of what Jesus actually did. Because you guys know that it is important when we look at Scripture, we read Scripture, we've got to know what's going on for it to have its full uh, meaning. So the first, in the outer court, is anyone, can anyone tell me what the outer court might be? Any ideas? Oh, that's a great one, Aaron. The outer court. Yes, it was the outer court, but it was the court of the Gentiles. If you were non-Jewish, that's where you could hang out. Okay? So if you were non-Jew, who was like, you know what? I probably believe in the Jewish God. I'm going to go see what it's like there. I maybe have traveled a long distance. This is where you can go. Now, if a Gentile were to cross over into the next court, which is the court that belonged to the Jews, if a Gentile crossed over into that court, they would be instantly, on the spot, executed. Kind of a bad deal for a Gentile crossing over into the court of the Jews. Now, there was another one. There was another one. And ladies, uh, ladies, don't get mad. This is just the way it was back in the day. But this was the court for the men. So only men could go in there. Because only men could get close to God. Uh, but that's not how it is anymore. Um, and because of Jesus, which is awesome. And so this is where all the Jewish men would hang out. It's probably where they play poker and other things. Not really. Uh, and then the last one was that for the priests. All right? And they could go into the priestly area. They could pray. They could do all their stuff. So, all this being said, the importance behind all this uh, is Jesus. When Jesus walks in, he's got to go through a entrance, okay? And there was an entrance. And Jesus, we're just going to say J.C. is his name, 
Jesus Christ. He's in the house. Woo-hoo. Uh, Jesus would have to walk through with his disciples. So we'll just do a little, bunch of little disciples. Okay. Uh, he'd have to walk through somewhere first. He'd have to walk through the court of the Gentiles before he could get to the court of the before he could get to the court of the and then he could go to the court of the man. You guys are so good. Uh, (laughs) He is so humble. Uh, So he walks into the court of the Gentiles, and Jesus sees something very specific in the court of the Gentiles, and it says this: There he found in the temple. Those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, the money changers, where they're doing their business. What does this mean? Does anyone know what this means? Anyone got like a stab in the dark? Like a stab. Wait, what was it, Sam? Yeah, it's like a merchant. It's like a marketplace. They've turned the temple, which we're going to get to, into a marketplace. Uh, what is the importance of this marketplace? Is this just your everyday Saturday market, new seasons, like go there, pick up some oxen and some doves. You're going to have beef one night, dove breast the other night. Great night. Uh, uh, no, what's the importance of this marketplace? Yeah, they're buying sacrificial animals. Uh, now, why would they be buying sacrificial animals? Well, here's what the Jews uh, decided. Uh, those who were the temple uh, folk, they got greedy, uh, like much as human nature. They wanted money. And so what they realized was that there are people traveling from all over the Roman Empire who have roots in Judaism or who believe in the one true God. And so when Passover comes, they're going to come and they're going to offer their sacrifice to the Lord. So they're going to bring with them their doves, their oxen, and their sheep. So that's what people would do. They would leave from as far away as Spain to the west and as far away as Persia to the east, um, and they would bring their sacrifices with them, only to arrive at the court of the Gentiles where this merchant marketplace is set up, and the priests would say, Oh, I see you brought your own sacrifice. Very pious of you. That's good. Uh, but your sheep has a little speckle here, uh, which means it's no longer worthy to be sacrificed. And your dove, its wing is a little bit shorter than the other one. Uh, can't sacrifice it. And, oh, well, you know, your cow, it's not big enough, you know, so you can't sacrifice it. Um, so we're sorry. But, wait, there's more. And they go all like Billy Mays on them, and they're like, if you just come over... To station number one, you can get a new sheep that is pre-approved by the temple guard. And then you can go to station number two and pick up a dove that's pre-approved by the priesthood. And then you can walk on over to the oxen area where you can get a pre-approved cow. No MSRP. Woo! Great time, okay? And, like, do this whole thing. And they're like, all right, great, let's go do it. And so the families would then leave their animals, and they would go and they would go to buy... These new animals, great deal for the temple people, right? Well, it gets even better for the temple people because these people from the Roman Empire, these people from Egypt, these people from Persia, uh, they would come and they'd have their money. Um, But the temple had a great idea. They said, well, we're only going to have temple dollars. It's like monopoly money for the temple. And uh, you can only purchase things in the temple with monopoly money. And so what they would do, literally, it was a monopoly. They had a monopoly on the currency. Uh, so with this monopoly money, they would say, all right, well, you have to give us your money to get the temple money. 
because we can't you can't purchase things in this temple with coins that have pagan symbols on them and whatnot. So what they would do is they would then charge them money to get money. Okay? And so let's say a dove costs what's a good price for a dove these days? Twelve bucks. There we go. A dove. Twelve dollars. So I got twelve I got twelve Roman sesterces, which is the Roman currency back in the day. I got twelve Roman sesterces, I'm gonna buy a dove. Well, they say, well, you know what? You gotta go get your money changed so you can get twelve temple dollars. So I go down to the temple money changing table, and they're like, alright, and so I'm like, I wanna trade my twelve sesterces for twelve temple dollars. And they say, well, to get twelve temple dollars, it's gonna be twenty four sesterces. Like, what? And so they're like, it's just a racket. Things are going like it's bad news bears all around. Uh, and so they're stealing people's money, uh, which is not good. So Jesus is uh, quite frustrated at this point. Uh, and Jesus does some things uh, at this point. Uh, the reason why Jesus is frustrated, uh, anyone got to guess why Jesus is frustrated? Anyone? Any guess why Jesus gets angry here? It's his father's house. Yeah, that's good. Why that's are good. they doing business in church? Yeah, why are they doing business in church? Okay, these are good answers. These are good answers. They're stealing in church. All very good answers. All very good answers. And yeah, those all play a factor in it. But what did we talk about uh, just a few moments ago? Jesus wants us to experience what? It's a three-letter word. No. Starts with a J and ends in oi. Yeah, joy. God wants us to experience joy. But he gets angry at things that get in our way. So these people who had traveled sometimes for the very first time, these people travel from far away. And they get to the temple to experience joy. But something gets in their way. And so they are then turned away from the joy that they could have had. Um, it happens in the church all the time. People come to church looking for uh, joy. People come to church looking for love, but then they get rejected because they don't look like everyone else. They don't dress like everyone else. They might not smell like everyone else. And Jesus gets angry about those things. So I'm going to come back to that in just a minute because I think that's a really important point. Um, but here's the thing. Jesus does uh, some pretty, pretty important things. He makes a whip out of cords. Um, what this really means is he just grabs a few like leather straps. Maybe he untied his sandals and he grabbed his leather straps. Uh, and he starts putting them together and starts whipping around and just getting crazy, like driving them out <coughs> like the cattle, uh, and says, get out of here. And then he starts flipping the tables and just like, get out of here, get out of here. Uh, and I can imagine, remember last week how we said Jesus told his mom, he said, mother, what do I have to do with you? Um, that wasn't, yeah, like that woman, that wasn't like a mean thing. Jesus was nice and meek when he was saying that. Uh, I'm not thinking Jesus was nice and meek at this point. For someone to, have any of you guys like ever taken a keychain lanyard or whatnot, turned it into a whip and chased somebody out of a building because he didn't like what they were doing? Uh, that is not, that's not a happy situation. It's an angry situation. Uh, and Jesus gets legitimately angry here and drives people out. Now, Jesus gets angry uh, three other times in the Gospels. So we're going to talk real quick just uh, about four times that Jesus got angry. Okay, The first time Jesus gets angry uh, is in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus reveals that maybe he was in the Mafia uh, because he gets angry in, in, in the way he talks during the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, he says uh, it would be better for someone 
to have a concrete stone tied around their neck and be thrown into the sea than to cause a little one to stumble. In other words, someone who would make a kid sin, uh, it's better for them to have a concrete cinder block strapped around their neck and dropped to the bottom of the ocean. Um, yeah, Jesus isn't really like happy when he's saying that. He's like, yeah, you can drop to the bottom of the ocean and hang out with the fish. He's like, no, you should die. Uh, so don't, don't mess with the kids uh, and make them uh, sin. The second time he gets angry uh, is he gets greatly grieved uh, at the disciples, actually. Does anyone know when he gets greatly grieved at the disciples? When they fell not when they fell asleep, actually. No, not when they stayed awake. Uh, when Jesus was chilling, teaching, and all the little kids came running, and the disciples said, hey, no, 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 parents, take your kids away. The master's busy. And Jesus said, no, no, let them come. Let them come to me. And then he tells all the adults, it's impossible to get to the kingdom of God without having the heart like a kid. And so Jesus likes kids a lot. Uh, so if you like kids, does anyone like kids in the room? Okay, if you like kids, well, then you got something in common with Jesus. That's awesome. Um, another time Jesus gets angry is in Mark uh, chapter 2 when he goes to the temple and there's a man who's got a withered hand. He's got like the shrunken hand, you know, and, and he says, Jesus, I need to be healed, but it's on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees like set Jesus up. They're like, Jesus, this man needs to be healed. Only so they could see what Jesus would do to see if Jesus would break their tradition, which their tradition was. You can't do none of that on the Sabbath. Uh, so Jesus got really angry at them uh, and then started telling them what they were thinking without them even saying it. They were freaking out. They're like, oh my gosh, how do they know these things? Uh, so Jesus gets angry and then the fourth time uh, being here. Uh, now some people are like, well yeah, but maybe Jesus, I mean Jesus is God and God is good, so God doesn't get angry. It says he made a whip, but it never says he used it. Um, well that's just wishful thinking. Uh, God does get angry uh, and it is okay that he gets angry uh, and that's why he encourages us it's okay to be angry as well. Uh, can God sin? No. no. So then God can co- fulfill the verse in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 about being angry and not sinning. And so we are to follow suit uh, and to be angry uh, with things that rob people of their joy. So the first point, I told you we are going to look at three things tonight. Uh, the first point uh, is really just this history side and the Jesus side and Jesus doing the story. Um, but then the second point, what I want us to focus on uh, a little bit, uh, is when it comes to us in our own personal lives. Uh, what does the Bible uh, say that we are? What does the Bible say our body is? Our body is the temple of God. Uh, now, let's just, using this analogy, uh, in our body, which is the temple of God, uh, we can have some things that can hinder us from experiencing the joy that God has for us. Anyone take a guess? The three-letter word that I'm talking about that can be the hindrance to our joy. Yeah, say it a little bit louder with some conviction. Sin. Sin, yeah. So we can have some money tables, some tables that need to be flipped. We can have some uh, areas in our lives that really need to be flipped over. Uh, where we sin, where we willfully sin, and we are like, alright God, because of what I'm doing, maybe we don't even think this way, but this is legitimately what we're doing. God, I'm going to sin, and because I'm going to sin, I'm going to hinder myself from experiencing your joy, which then is going to make you angry at my sin, which is then going to cause you to come and flip some tables in my life. 
It's the process. Every time we sin, that's what's actually subconsciously going on, is we are willfully saying, all right, um, Jesus, I'm going to reject you. I'm going to reject your joy. I'm going to sin and put a hindrance there. I'm going to make your father's house uh, a place for merchants and for thieves. So Jesus, because he loves us, um, and we just said this just a few moments ago, uh, Jesus wants us to experience joy. And he's going to do anything he can and everything he can, which all things are possible with God. So he's going to do it. Uh, he's going to get your attention off of your roadblock. He's going to flip some tables because he wants you to experience the fullness of his joy. So he's going to get angry. And how does he get angry? Um, and you guys tracking by this point, anger is not a bad thing. Okay? Uh, anger is not bad. Okay? So when God gets angry, it's not condemning. Remember, God does not get angry at you. He gets angry at your sin. Okay, good. Uh, because I don't want anyone to leave here feeling like God condemns. Because, uh, pause in the sermon, uh, God never, ever, ever <laughs> condemns you. Okay? God does not condemn you. The devil likes to condemn you. Okay? But... God, by His Holy Spirit, brings conviction, which is, hey, I know what you think you're doing is good, and it's fun, but it actually is not. It's painful for you. It's harmful for you. So, draw closer to me. Draw closer to me. And what He also does is He never condemns. He brings conviction, but He also chastens us. You guys know what the word chasten means? Um, It's an old English word. Uh, yeah, really old, old word uh, that we kind of use the term punishment for. But I think punishment, then, in our English understanding of the word punishment, we're like, oh, okay, God is getting me in trouble, like he's swatting me or doing like something like that. And it kind of has like a negative connotation. So I'm just going to stick with the word chasten because it's actually a good thing, okay? It's not like a, ah, oh, God's mad at me, God's beating me up. No, 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 it's a God loves me and God is helping put me on the right path. Does that make sense? It's like when someone falls down when they're riding a bike. Uh, it's like when the parent comes up, you don't want to fall down again, so let's do it this way. And the parent helps you out, okay? Uh, it's not like the parent starts yelling at the kid for falling off the bike. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is what it says in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 6. I think this is a great uh, verse, and uh, I think it's important for each and every single one of us. We're going to read more than just verse 6. Uh, but flip with me, if you will, in your Bibles to... Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, we're actually going to pick up in verse 5, and it says this, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My sons, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens, and He scourges every son whom He receives." If you endure the chastening, God deals with you as his son. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are an illegitimate and you are not a son. Um, I like the old English. Uh, the, the King James, the King James actually just like sums it up. It doesn't say illegitimate and not a son. It just said, then you are a bastard. Okay, that's what it says. Uh, in the sense that uh, you are in no way uh, anything to do with God. So what does this have to do with anything? 
uh, well, it says, God's going to chasten you because he loves you. God's going to rebuke you. He's going to scourge you uh, to get you on the right path because he loves you. Okay? Uh, and then it goes on to say, and I want to deal with this just really briefly, uh, and then we're going to come back to the God chasing us. Uh, verse 7 says, uh, because those whom he chastens, uh, they are his sons. Okay? And daughters to all you ladies. Um, you are a child of God when he chastens you. But here's the thing. If you claim, this is what verse 8 says, if you claim to be a Christian and you are living in sin, but you are not experiencing the chastening of God, if you are not experiencing the punishment of God, if you are not experiencing that, all right, you need to change the way you're going. If you're just living in sin and you're not feeling any consequence from it, here's what it says. It says you are not a child of God. So if you are willfully sinning and claiming to be a Christian, but you're not facing anything from God, uh, God's not going to punish someone who is not his son. God is not going to punish someone who is not his daughter. So if you're not facing anything, and, and when I say facing, that doesn't mean that the sky is gray, the rain starts coming down, you lose your job. That's not what I mean when I say God chasing you. The fact that you can hear the Holy Spirit telling you that's wrong, uh, that's God chasing you. Okay, And God is going to use that to redirect you. But if you're just chilling, you're just willfully in sin, and you're not hearing that voice, and if nothing's going wrong around you, uh, there's a very stern warning from the author of Hebrews. He says, you know what? If you're not facing any rough times, if you're not facing or you're not hearing the Holy Spirit convict, convict you uh, of, of the wrong, uh, then you're probably not a son or daughter of God. And so that's important. So it's really good to know when God loves us, and when God wants us to experience his joy, he's going to deal with the sin in our lives. And if we are a son and a daughter of Christ, which I'm assuming we all are, um, then, hey, that's awesome. God's going to deal with us uh, in a very uh, specific way. Now, he uses the word scourge there in Hebrews. Does anyone know what scourge means? Okay, to get rid of close. Um, yeah, it means beat. Okay, I mean, it means like pummel. Okay, Jesus was scourged right before he was crucified when they took a cat of nine tails and just whipped the snot out of Jesus. Okay, uh, that's scourging. So you're like, okay, gosh, Jesus is going to whip the snot out of me. That's not good. Notice what it says though when referring to the temple. What does he do? He takes, he makes a whip of cords. The the uh, the old English, the King James says he takes small strands to make a whip. Okay, which literally means he uses small things. <laughs> To scourge us. Now, the cat of nine tails that Jesus was scourged with, it was a bad deal. Okay, It was huge and it was painful. But Jesus uses the small things to bring correction in our lives. Okay? So, give me an example, Pastor Matt. Okay, we're living in sin. And the Holy Spirit gives us the voice. He said, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. That's a small whip from Jesus. He was not that small. We're like, okay, I hear the voice. Then you go again. You hear it again. All right, okay, small whip from Jesus. Then some circumstances happen. Uh, but God's never going to drop you. He's never going to beat you. He's going to use the small things. So maybe it just so happens that I'm chilling with some friends. I'm living in sin. And one of my friends says, Hey, man, what do you think about this? And it's exactly what I'm dealing with in my sin. I'm just like, oh, gosh, there's another small whip from Jesus. He's like, hey, turn around. Turn around. 
You don't have to live in sin. You guys get what I'm saying? Jesus gets angry at our sin, but he doesn't get angry at us. And he uses his righteous anger, he uses his holy anger to then turn us around, to flip the tables of our sin, to get us on track with him so that we can experience his full joy. You guys you guys all tracking with that? Okay. Um, now, we as Christians, we are to follow the example of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian, and so Christ deals with sin violently. Christ deals with sin with anger. So here's that encouragement to us from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be angry, and in your anger do not sin, but deal angrily with your sin. When you sin, it should make you angry. When you sin, you should be angry. Goodness gracious, why did I sin? Probably won't say goodness gracious. I don't know. I don't know where that came from. Uh, but you should get frustrated when you sin. Okay? But here's the thing. Does Jesus condemn you? No. So should you condemn you? Because I'll speak from my own personal example. When I sin, or when I sinned a lot when I was in high school, I used to get so mad at myself. Gosh, Matt, you're an idiot. What on earth are you doing? You know better than that. I would beat myself up. Okay? Jesus doesn't beat us up. So why should we beat us up? We got to get mad at our sin and the person who tempts us. Okay? And when we get mad at that, when we get angry at that, and we deal with that the way Jesus dealt with joy hinderers, Jesus flipped the tables, Jesus drove them out, that's what we got to do with the sin in our lives. We got to flip the tables of sin and say, you know what, sin? You know what, devil? You know what? Any temptation that comes my way, you don't have any power. I'm flipping the tables. Jesus has got all the power. <coughs> Consider it flipped. The switch has been flipped. It's time for us, as believers in Christ, to make a stand and say, you know what? I'm not going to deal with my sin by just letting it go. I'm going to deal angrily with my sin the way Jesus deals with sin, and I'm going to kill my sin. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus wants us to do, and he gives us the perfect example of dealing with our sin. Now, for some of you, you might be dealing with some sin that is just so enormous and you can't figure it out. Like, how on earth am I going to defeat this sin? It's so big. Well, first off, you don't have to do it alone. Okay, you got God in your corner. Okay, He actually fought the fight for you, and it's already won. So in the boxing ring, uh, you don't even have to fight. He's already got it. Uh, and he's on your team, which is great. But here's the deal. When it comes to beating sin, how does Jesus beat our sin? He uses... Scripture. Okay, Scripture. But I'm looking for that, the small, the small chasing. You chisel away at your sin one step at a time. All right. I used to do that. I'm no longer doing that. And the next appointment, or not appointment, but the next uh, opportunity, that's what I was looking for, for sin arises, you kill that sin. You might not be able to kill it all at once. Maybe you will. But uh, if you're human, uh, like I am, uh, sin takes a little bit of a while. And it takes a determined mind, a scourging mind, an angry mind. I am going to deal with this sin one day at a time. And that's what Jesus does. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. Um, so yeah, that's how Jesus deals with sin. And that's, so that's the second point. Um, first point, Jesus goes in the temple, does his deal, 
history. Second point, uh, we got to deal with our sin with anger, just the same way Jesus deals with our sin with anger. Uh, and the third point uh, is a point uh, that, that's really been on my heart for, I'd say probably six months or so. Um, and uh, it's something I get frustrated with and I get angry with, which I'm happy that I get angry with it. Uh, because Jesus gets angry with it, uh, and so I feel okay uh, being angry with this. Uh, but I get very frustrated uh, when new people come to church, when new people come to Ecclesia, when new people come to the youth group, when new people show up in the body of Christ, uh, and they are not uh, welcomed. Now, you guys, you guys are awesome. Uh, and, and, and you guys welcome people. Uh, and, a, and a lot of you are new people, which is really cool. Um, but there are times in general where the church, I'm not saying Hillside Christian Fellowship, I'm saying the church uh, general, uh, they turn uh, their back on people a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Well, uh, because just like these people who were in the court of the Gentiles who had their little booths, they said, well, you know what? I'm glad you came. Glad you came to church this morning. It was great. Oh, well, your Bible is an NIV. Sorry, our church only preaches out of the New King James, so you can make your way to the bookstore and pick one up. Okay? That happens. It's, I mean, it sounds funny, but it happens. Uh, oh, welcome to church this morning. I see you don't have a tie on. It happens. It happens. It happens in our city. Uh, it's crazy. Oh, welcome to church, young lady. <gasps> You might want to go home and change because your dress might be a little too short. We don't want to make all the guys stumble. It happens. And people get turned away from church because people's traditions override their love. Um, hey, showed up to church. Got a hat on. Whoa, that's okay. I'm preaching in a hat tonight, okay? Um, people turn people away. Olivia. Do you know off the top of your head just for myself? Um, the don't get distracted with traditions of man. Uh, do you know where that is? Yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. That's in Titus. Good question. And I'm going to read it because I think this is really good. Um, way to bring that up. Let me flip to Titus. i got to get to Titus in my Bible. Uh, Titus reminded, nope, Titus did not fall out of my Bible. Um, okay. This is what it says in Titus chapter 3, verse 9. It says, But avoid foolish disputes and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and they are useless. Titus chapter 3, verse 9. Write it down. Because you're going to have people who come up to you. And I'm not saying get angry with people. I'm not saying fist fight people. But here's the thing. Foolish disputes, whether what kind of Bible you have, uh, what you're wearing, uh, the kind of cologne you have, um, how you worship, how you pray, how you take notes—those are foolish, foolish. No, those are foolish disputes, um, and they have no place. Genealogies, so like random, just theological things that have nothing to do with salvation. Like, oh, is the Earth five thousand years old, six thousand years old, or eight thousand years old? I don't know. Okay, it's pointless. It really does not matter to salvation, and it turns people away. Uh, contentions, which really means like you're arguing one with another. No good. Strivings, okay? Uh, strivings about the law, which is what these people were doing, okay? They were turning people who genuinely wanted to experience God, they were turning them away because they did not fit the 
idea of the perfect Jew. And it happens in church today. And I have seen it happen. This is sad, and it, it makes me frustrated at times. I have seen it happen on a few occasions in this very room on a Tuesday night. Um, and so it's sad, uh, and it's frustrating, uh, and it happens. Okay? Uh, now, it doesn't happen much here, and it doesn't happen much uh, at Hillside, but it happens in the church. And we, each and every single one of us, we have to be held accountable to this because if we turn people away because they don't fit our perfect, um, we're doing exactly what the money lenders were doing, what the people who were selling stuff were doing, and Jesus does not like that. And so when we turn people away for silly reasons, Jesus isn't happy with that. Now, there are some very serious things that we are to be strong with. Like, okay, if someone comes in and they're living in blatant sin, do we turn them away? No, but do we call them on their sin? Yes, because Jesus calls out sin. Do we get mad at that person and condemn that person? No. What do we do? Yeah. you starting to see the thing? Because there's a whole formula here. And it's Jesus' formula. Jesus gives us a formula. Be angry at sin, kill sin, and let love abound. Get angry at sin. When sin is removed, people can experience joy. And so we should be the most loving people on the planet. And, and we should be the most accepting people on the planet. People should be able to come from every race, every religion, every political ideology, regardless, you name it, they should be able to come to church. They might not believe it when they enter the door. That's perfectly okay. Because there's a chance they're going to believe it when they leave. Uh, But that's not on you. That's not on me. That's on the Holy Spirit. Okay? But it doesn't matter if they're black, white, Asian, Hispanic. doesn't matter if they're Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, gay, straight. They should be accepted as people in your church and loved the way Christ loves. And the way Christ loves is Christ deals with sin. So if there is sin or false religion, so if a Muslim comes, accept them, love them, show them Christ, and let the Holy Spirit do the work in their heart. If someone who is gay comes, love them, accept them, show them the love of Christ, and let the Holy Spirit do the work to kill the sin that's in their life. Does that make sense? You guys track with what I'm saying? Uh, Because... If the church doesn't do this, they slowly start to get into this area, and it would be a bad day for the church. The church which Jesus gave his life to establish, which he gave his life for, um, it would be a bad day for us to reject his teachings and for him to come and have to flip our tables. Uh, That would be a bad day for the church if Jesus had to come and flip our tables uh, as a broad sense. Uh, and so, let's not get to that point, and let's say, alright, we're going to love, and we're going to deal with sin the way Jesus deals with sin. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so that's my third point. I got a little bit preachy there. I'm sorry. I like it. Got angry. Because um, I get angry at times. Uh, guys, it's all about love. Um, and and that sounds like a great catchphrase, uh, but it's really all about love. Uh, Jesus is love. That's what First John tells us. Um and so if we don't love, First John tells us, then we're not of Christ. Uh, so we must love with everything we do. Here's my last point that I want to bring up. 
And then, uh, then we're going to close. Bo's going to come up. Actually, Bo, you can actually come up and just start playing guitar right now. Uh, that would be awesome. Um, here's what it says in verse chapter, verse chapter, no, chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, it says, Then they said to him, What sign do you show us when you do these things? Here's the thing. When Jesus came in, when Jesus flipped the tables, when Jesus drove them out, when Jesus dealt with sin, when Jesus dealt with the hindrances, uh, you notice how no one who was living in sin questioned what he was doing. They never said, Jesus, why are you doing this? How can you do this? Uh, Because they knew something needed to change. Uh, They knew there was change that needed to take place. And they asked him for a sign. They said, all right, Jesus, just give us a sign that we know that this is from you. Here's the thing. Jesus gave us that sign. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I'm going to raise it again. He was referring to his death and his resurrection. Jesus died on the cross. And so because of the cross, because of Jesus' death, because of his resurrection, uh, he has the authority to flip the tables in our lives. And he has the authority uh, to convict of sin. And so, because of that, people, they'll be... uh, They'll say, well, you can't judge me, you can't judge me, but here's the thing. Deep down inside, every single human being on this planet uh, has a very distinct thing within them. It's called uh, their conscience, okay? Uh, And it discerns between what's right and what's wrong. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 21 uh, tells us uh, that everyone is going to be without excuse. Everyone is going to have the opportunity. Well, what does that mean to the person who's never heard of Jesus? I don't know, I'm not God, but here's the thing. God makes himself known. That's what Romans chapter 1 tells us. He said, he has revealed himself to all people. Uh, And because of that, uh, there's going to be a very real decision in someone's life. Uh, I'm sinning, I know I'm sinning, and I know it needs to be changed. Jesus, come change my heart. Jesus, come change my heart. And I'd say for the most part, I know almost all of you in the room, um, and, and you made the decision to follow Jesus, and that's that's awesome. Um, and if you have not made the decision to follow Jesus, and that you have not made the decision and said, Jesus, come flip my tables, come change my heart from the inside out, I want to live for you, I encourage you to do that. The Bible tells us it's as easy as saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. It's as easy as declaring that and saying that and believing that in your heart. Uh, then you're saved. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you haven't made that decision, make that decision tonight. And it will be the best decision you ever make. Because Jesus wants us to experience joy. <laughs> Jesus wants to experience the fullness of life. And He loves us so much to get angry at our sin. To use the little ways to whip us into shape. And to draw us unto Him. But the real part that I want um, us to have an altar call on tonight, um, and we might not even have an altar call, you might just stay in your seats, it's all chill. Um, But in our lives, we talked about dealing with sin, Uh, we talked about sin, Uh, we talked about getting angry with sin. Uh, And so maybe you're here tonight, uh, and you're stuck in sin, and you're struggling in sin, and you don't know how to get out of it. Jesus corner, and Jesus will help you get out of your sin. Uh, Maybe you are learning what it means to overcome sin, Uh, but when you sin, and when you fail, it doesn't make you that angry, and you want to have the same anger, the same righteous 
anger and the same holy anger that Jesus has towards sin. And so you're going to ask, God, give me that anger and that hatred for my sin so that I can kill my sin and live fully for you. And then maybe the last uh, person would be, um, you, you, you do get angry with your sin. Uh, and it's great. Uh, but maybe you're someone who, you don't even want to, but in your heart, you turn people away. By the things you say, by this or that, even by the even by the nonverbal communication, people get turned away because of things you do. Uh, and you want to repent of that and you want to say, Jesus, I don't want to be a hindrance to someone experiencing joy. I don't want to be a hindrance to someone experiencing joy. I want people to be able to come to me and take condiments to them experiencing joy. So I'm going to invite you guys all to stand. I'm going to ask John if you can just turn the lights down a little bit. And I'm going to ask us all to close our eyes. And uh, and with every eye closed and every every head bowed, I want us to respond to the question. Um, if you're here tonight, you... Uh, and you sin, you don't know how to get over it, and you just want Jesus to hop in your corner and to help you out and come alongside. And you're going to say, Jesus, I've been trying to do this on my own, but I know I can't do it on my own anymore. And so I'm inviting you to come in and flip the tables in my life. If that's you and you're dealing with sin, let us know just by extending your hand. When I say us, I'm talking me and God. Okay? Extend your hand. Amen. God sees those hands. You can put them down. God sees those hands. And by inviting God to come in and flip some tables in your life, He's going to because He loves you. And the Bible says He's going to chasten us. But don't despise the chastening. Rejoice in the chastening because you are called a son and a daughter of God. And that's amazing. And so, dear Jesus, for those who raise their hands, God, who have invited you to come and flip some tables, God, we just pray tonight. God, that they would experience your love. They would experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God, in that anger that you have towards sin, God, that they would experience it. And God, that as they now live a life of freedom and of overcoming because of you, God, they would rejoice in the chastening that comes from the Lord. Now, if there's anyone here tonight who you're dealing with sin, and, uh, and when you sin, and when you... When you don't overcome, maybe you normally overcome, but when you don't overcome, you don't get angry at your sin. You're like, why don't I get angry? Uh, and you want to have some of that righteous anger for your sin. Uh, if that's you, and you want to be able to deal with sin angrily, uh, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Yeah. Hands going up all over. Praise God. Well, God, we pray right now, uh, God, that you would give us a little bit of that, that holy fire, that righteous anger for our sin, God. Uh, God, that we would deal with our sin the way you deal with sin. God, that we would search it out. And like John told us, Jesus found that there were oxen, doves, sheep, and there were money changers doing business. And he flipped the tables. God, I pray that we would deal with our sin the same way. And we would flip the tables and say, Nuh-uh, you have no more power there. God's in control. So God, I pray that you give each and every single one of us the strength and the courage and the anger needed to deal with our sin. And lastly, maybe you're 
someone who says, uh, I've turned someone away. I haven't known I've turned someone away. Or maybe you have known you've turned someone away. Maybe it was subconscious, uh, nonverbal. Maybe it was verbal. Maybe you meant well. Uh, but you don't want to turn anyone away again. You want everyone to be able to experience the joy of Christ. So you want to repent for the times you turn folks away, and you want to say no more to turn people away. If that's you, uh, you just raise your hand. Uh, we're going to pray uh, for that as well. Amen. I see those hands. Dear God, we just pray right now for those individuals, God, who raise their hand. Uh, God, I just pray right now. Uh, God, that, uh, God, that you would use them mightily. God, because they raised their hands and said, I don't want to turn people away. I want to bring people to experience the joy of Christ. God, I pray right now that you would give them double. You would give them triple. You would give them quadruple the opportunity to let people experience the joy of Christ. God, where they think they may have turned people away in the past, God, for the one they, they turned away, God, I pray that you bring four more. God, that you would just multiply your joy and multiply your blessing in their lives, because God, they raised their hand and they said, maybe I have, maybe I haven't, but I don't ever want to again. Uh, God, that takes courage and that takes faith to raise your hand for that. Uh, God, so I pray that you would reward them for that. And God, that even if it just be a prophetic message now, God, that they would see uh, that crop, that harvest multiply, God, and people would experience the joy because of that. And so God, for those who raised their hand for that, God, I pray that they would do mighty works for your name. God, that people would come because of them and because of you. So, God, we thank you and we praise you. God, just for all of us, God, in just a general prayer of closing, God, before we go into a little more worship, God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you that you care for us. And, God, it's because you care for us that you deal with our sin violently. God, that you get angry at the things that hinder us from experiencing joy. God, I pray for each and every single one of us, whatever that roadblock is, that would experience, uh, that, that would reject us from experiencing your joy. God, I pray that each and every single one of us in this room would experience the joy of Christ. The joy, the love, the peace, the hope that comes when being a son and a daughter of God. God, I pray that we would know what joy is all about. God, that we would jump in the rivers of joy, splash in the waters of joy. God, we would run in the winds of joy. God, that joy would be our mantra. That we would experience joy. God, let this world throw whatever it wants at us. Because we know the joy that comes from Christ. God, we thank you. We thank you that your love wins. God, that your love rules. God, and that same love that you share towards us. God, is the same love that's residing in us that we can share towards others. So God, we thank you and we praise you. In your son's name we pray. Everyone said, Amen. Because of your love, I stand here because of your love, my sins are washed away.